Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action, a podcast where people share their stories about meaningful, planet-friendly work in their local communities. They share their paths of green action and the ways they have applied their own talents, interests, and all types of green projects, jobs, businesses, volunteering, and careers. I'm speaking with Christina Johnson, one of the founders of Upcycle It Now. Upcycle It Now was born out of a shared entrepreneurial spirit to become sustainability change agents, partnering with textile companies to upcycle their textile waste into beautiful, high quality and functional products. Christina obtained her degree at UC Davis and headed to India for an internship with a sustainable design company. There, she saw the urgent need for sustainable textile manufacturing and knew that was going to be her mission. Liz Bardessa, aka Mom, a successful businesswoman, possesses an innate passion for business development and for years owned a tailoring and alterations business. During Liz and Christina's visit to India, they saw the alignment between our collective experiences, passion for social and environmental sustainability, and the growing need to address textile waste. Together, they created Upcycle It Now, a very open and approachable company that is willing to educate and share knowledge with others for the greater sustainability cause. So excited to find out more about your path of green action that has led you to founding an upcycling business. So what planted the seeds for you to want to take some kind of green action? originally? Um, So I grew up in the alteration and tailoring shop that my mom and my aunt had started together. And I, to me, I think it was just, it was somewhat innate. I, I found a fascination with the cutoffs and the scraps that were uh, building up in the store. And I used to steal them and take them and make things out of them. And um, before they headed to the trash and uh I just always felt a strong sense that these things that we were throwing away had more value to them and that they could be useful. And um, I think there was a little bit of that kind of scavenger hunt, treasure finding um, that I really enjoyed. And so it was just something that I found myself often just um, attracted to before I even understood like what sustainability was before I really understood the impact that it was having. I think that, um, that kind of hidden gold, hidden, you know, uh, treasure was what attracted me most. So when you were studying at UC Davis, did you know what direction you were kind of headed with your studies? Not when I first started out. Um, I originally, I kind of, I knew I wanted to be in design. I loved working with textiles. I loved working with clothing. Um, and I wanted to do something creative, but also something that was a little more hands-on and technical as well. While I was at UC Davis, I was very fortunate to take a class with my professor, Ann Savageau, and she was doing a sustainability lecture. And then she also did a sustainability uh, workshop. So it was in her class that I really started understanding the concepts of sustainable design, sustainable manufacturing, and the different avenues that could take, whether it be making things just to last forever, or making things module, making things so they could be repaired, um, or making things out of waste. And when I started learning about these different principles, I was like, oh, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. Oh, that's excellent. So when you were just mentioned all of the different um, aspects, so is that when you kind of were attracted to creating something new? 
um, or did you also kind of try to incorporate some of those other aspects of sustainability as well? Yeah, I think we try to do, we try to follow as many of the principles as we can. Um, we are limited because we, our first step was to use recycled and upcycled materials, but we always are really trying to make items really utilitarian so that they can be used either unisex or they could be used for multiple things. We try not to get them into too specific of a niche because then that means they just they kind of um, blocks them from being more useful. Uh, we also try to make everything really durable. So we're very specific about, okay, well, how, you know, how well are we constructing this? Is it, where are the weak points? How can we reinforce those? And then if there's any other principle, like some of the principles are also um, repairability. We haven't, luckily we haven't had to do too much repairs on our own, but that would be something that we would, want to work in. So keeping that kind of very simple utilitarian design, they are pretty easy to, they should be pretty easy to repair if they were ever to come back. Okay, excellent. So was it, when you set off for India, was it challenging to find a company that was using sustainability objectives in India, or were there a few to pick from? So that was actually a very serendipitous kind of story. I, um, through Ann Savage, the my sustainability teacher at Davis, she had met, I think for, through a friend had been introduced to the owner of a company called Conserve India. And when they were speaking, the Anita from Conserve India had made a comment about, oh, if you want to, you know, if you're a professor and you want to have any students come over, we would love to host. And Anne was like, I would love that because I would love to give my students more experience. And originally when the internship kind of opportunity came up, I, I hadn't heard about it. And so two people had filled the spots and then um, about maybe a month or two before I was about to graduate, I was in Anne's office and she's like, well, what are you going to do when you finish? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I really want to travel. I would love to like just see different concepts. And she's like, oh, did you know that one of the spots for the trip to India is open? You know, someone had to drop out. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I think like I would, I think that'd be a really interesting way to kind of jumpstart between college and real life, I guess. Um, and so I kind of thought about it a little bit. And within three days, I think three or four days, I had bought a one-way ticket to go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it was very quick and very, um, yeah, but it was wonderful. I'm glad it happened the way it did. <laughs> great so what was it like when you when you got there um like what what was the company that you were working with doing yeah so the company we were working with uh was taking a recycled plastic bags so like your like grocery store plastic bags and they were using a process with like heat infusion to make them into these sheets um and so they're almost like a maybe a little more rubbery leather kind of texture and they were making accessories out of that and then they were also taking um excess seat belts and uh tire tubes and uh, the big truck tire tubes and making products out of them and so what they were looking for when we got there originally was kind of just kind of fresh ideas new designs and then as we were there we there was kind of an opportunity to fill a merchandiser role as well 
which was very new for us because we, uh, me and my classmate Jenna went together and we hadn't done merchandising, but we learned a lot. We were working with uh, most of the buyers were uh, either in Australia or US or Europe. And so we were coordinating with them, working on their designs, helping them kind of fine tune and get production on schedule and it was a great learning experience. It was a lot of work, but it was a really great learning experience to jump off. Them. Yeah, it sounds like really hands-on. Yes, it was. It was. It was more, to me, it was more, it was like an actual job more so than an internship. Because internship, you're usually a supporting role where we were, we were taking on pretty like major operations. <laughs> That's excellent. So what was um, like one of your biggest takeaways from your experience there? I think for me, it was really amazing to see this concept work and see that it was viable and that people liked it. Um, I also was amazed pretty much like everything that they did to make these products was attainable in the facility that we had back home. So generally when you think of these big textile manufacturing you think of these like laser cutting machines and you think of this like really sophisticated equipment and things that would just be very uh, unattainable for a small startup and um, I think when I went there and I realized hey like yes it's a lot of labor um, but it's very doable and it is more on like the handicraft side a little bit which is kind of the expertise we had and I think for me it just felt very attainable um, and it helped me realize like okay this is something we can do and um, and then of course just I think in U.S. we're a little bit better about hiding our waste. We kind of tuck it away and send it in other places. Where in India, it's a little more obvious. It's a little more in your face every day. Um, but it's not to say that we don't have that same type of waste. We're just better at, you know, concealing it. So I knew when I came home, I was like, this is a global problem. And it's definitely something that we need to um we need to start addressing and thinking about of how we're going to create solutions for it. Great. So now, so you came back and then like, what was the next step? Did you kind of start conceiving of how you were going to start your own company? Yeah. So um, I returned back to us in 2011. And at that point we were, me and my mom decided, Hey, let's, let's partner together. Let's use our, the tailoring facility. And obviously that was just a little bit after 2008 and our recession then though. Now everything's very crazy. That seemed like a big deal. Now it's like, Oh yeah, that thing. Um, but we were very worried about keeping all our employees. Um, and we were very worried about that. We were you know, our, um, sorry, this is for the alteration store. We were worried about keeping the employees there and keeping them busy. Um, some of our employees we've, we'd had for like 20 years, 15 years. And so we felt that starting this new business would be a good way to supplement and like make sure that everyone could continue and then hopefully even grow and kind of continue to provide more jobs in our community. And so we identified street banners as something that was plentiful and that, that we could use as a, as kind of a start a starting material uh, to start up cycling. We have in Long Beach, I'm based in Long Beach, California. We have an aquarium of the Pacific, as well as a really lovely little um, Long Beach Museum of Art. So we kind of targeted those as our first potential clients. The aquarium, I think we called them and they got back to us within like 
two hours. It was so exciting because they're like, yes, we do. We want to do this. Like, this is a concept we've been interested in. Um, and so that's how we started. And we we worked with the aquarium. We worked with the museum. We did some work with Disney. Um, and we kind of were rolling with that. And then we, not too long afterwards, probably within the first year, year and a half, we met a woman who was on the uh, environmental team for Patagonia. And this is back then they were calling it the Common Threads Initiative, and now they call it Warnware. And what they were doing is they were saying, don't throw any of your product away, send it back to us and we'll find a responsible way to recycle it. Um, and so we were in a seminar and they were talking about this and I raised my hand, I'm like, what are you doing with it all? Cause like, I know not all of this stuff is conventionally recyclable. Um, and so she said, you know, things that can be conventionally recycled. So like your nylons and your polyesters can often be like kind of melted down and restrewn, but there's a lot of things that can't be. And so she said, we're, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. And so after the talk, I went up and I said, this is my card. This is what we do. We know like this is our business and um, a little bit of a leap of faith. We hadn't been working with too much clothing yet, but um, we knew we could. It was in our wheelhouse. So we started meeting with them and working with them. And that was kind of, it was a, we did a lot of pilots and we just kept fine tuning and fine tuning. And, uh, and that ultimately is like our the business model we really love to do is a company has a ton of waste. They have things that are coming back. They're collecting either from their customers or they have a product that was defective or something. And then we take it, create a new product, put their label on it, and it goes back to them to sell. So it keeps that closed loop kind of cycle within their own brand. So tell me, like the Long Beach, the museum and things. So is it like vinyl banners that are being recycled? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we were doing the vinyl banners for the first couple of years. And then to be honest, that kind of tapered off. The market for it wasn't great. So people like them, but they don't love them. And so there's a lot of other companies that have been doing the vinyl and some are finding more success than others. For us, we found that they were good, but they weren't really taking us to like that next level we wanted to be. And so we started shifting more of the focus to the textiles and to the kind of the, the bigger brands hoping like, okay, this is maybe where we can make a little bigger impact and where we were seeing that um, the resale value was just a little more attractive. Um, customers were just responding a little better. So just so I make sure that I understand. So you were recycling existing banners and turning them into new banners or you were turning them to other products altogether? products. So uh, totes, wallets, lunch pails. Um, and yes, they were ones that had been up, had uh, the event had passed, they had come down and um, we were doing that. So the, the ones that were the best were the Disney because they have characters on them and that stuff went really well. Um, unfortunately, like that's just so limited. So, but other ones, yeah, the other street banners, maybe one day, hopefully, you know, consumers will be more like attracted to it, but we just found that it was just a small, it was a small market. So now with some of the other companies that you're working with, you're taking um, some of their recycled materials and clothing and et cetera. And then what are some of, are you creating the same type of products? Like, 
Yeah, so we, um, for Patagonia, we do a lot of small accessories. So we do travel totes, kind of dop kits, makeup kits. We do, you can call it, they're very utilitarian. So you can, they're kind of little triangle sides. Um, and so you can use them for whatever. I I actually even sometimes like, well, if I'm traveling, I'll roll up different like shirts and things into them so I can organize what I'm bringing. And then we also do a lot of little fanny packs and slings. We do totes as well. And then, yeah, majority, we try to, our goal is to use the material that they have, but some companies, um, we have another partner who uh, is called Parks Project. Now they're, they don't quite have enough material to give us material from their sales. So what we do is we connect them with another a source that is trying to get rid of material. So someone, um, some people come to us and are like, hey, I have all these um, jacket liners that are unsellable. I can't use them. I'm going to throw them away. Would you take them? And then that I would say, okay, well, let me check with my um, end kind of product client to see if they're interested. And so then I would take the, get a sample of the material, make something out of it, send it to them and see if they like it. So some companies we do a little bit of matchmaking and then some companies we can go internally uh, circular. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So do you sell wholesale or are you kind of in the middle making, taking it from one and then making something new and then passing it on to a company that will resell it? Yeah. So we're mostly B2B. So business to business and we're selling wholesale. So for our clients like Patagonia, we are actually a licensed vendor of theirs and we're an outside vendor. So we're not necessarily fully wrapped into their, we're not like, like a, we're, yeah, so we're partners of theirs. They audit us. We They make sure that our factory is all up to standard. Um, and then someone like Parks Project, similar thing. We're kind of an outside vendor. So we work, um, they might approve the design, but we generally work together on the product design. And sometimes I'll send them something. They're like, yes, that's perfect as is. We'll do it. And then sometimes they come to me and say, oh, this is something that we would like to do. And then I'll create it based off a design brief. Nice. So how do you get input from the public? Do you like, um, are there yearly or every few years kind of conferences where those different types of materials that you're creating are available so that like designers can see it and formulate new ideas and how does that work? Not really. To be honest, it's pretty, uh, it's still pretty scrappy, no pun intended. Um, we literally uh, will get a random email, a random call about, you know, oh, I have this, would you like this? Um, or we get an email or call from a client that's saying, hey, I saw what you're doing. I'd love to work with you. And some will, like I said, some will have their own material and then some I will actually have to go out and try to source something for them. So it just depends, but it is very like, one-off somehow they heard about us or they see we do our labels in all our products too so that's actually how most of our clients find us is they bought one of our products and saw our label on the inside so we do kind of it's a little bit most of our things we co-brand so our client is like full front label it's their product but we generally put our little label on the inside just so that the customer knows oh okay like this is the company that's making it and then also it's it's our main advertising so that we can do that for other companies excellent Excellent. yeah so you wouldn't necessarily I'm guessing be able to take like used clothing that were like different varieties of kinds of material like 
I'm guessing that you need to have a bulk amount of one type of material. Would that be correct? That's what makes most sense for us. Yeah. So to be able to do it um, scalable and on a in a way that actually makes like some substantial difference and we can make a good amount of uniform product. So our goal is to make the products as uniform and durable as possible. And a big part of that is that all the colors might be different and the textures might be a little bit different. So um, maybe we do use a lot of rain jackets from Patagonia. So maybe one is a little bit older version, one's a little newer version. So the material is just a little bit different, but for the most part, the style and the look has the same feel, the same look, the same function. And that makes it so that we can sell that same product all across the U.S. and the stores and they can all have it and they can re and they can consistently reorder it as well, which is really important for just being able to be just that consistency helps. To be honest, it helps the retailers be less afraid of doing upcycled stuff because one of the biggest things in retail is it's very hard to sell one-offs unless like an individual store is buying like 10 of something and they just have it as like a little like local placeholder. But when you're trying to fulfill orders for like a national company, you really want that uniformity so that customers know what they're getting. The stores know what they're getting. They know that they can advertise it and they know that they can say, oh, we've run out, but we can get you more. Right. Yeah. Because it takes so long just to help people get to know about something new yeah by the time they know they like it and then it's gone yeah exactly Um, so when you're making these products are you making them locally in the United States or do you have a facility in India or how is that like your actual um, manufacturing yeah we're still based here in Long Beach so we started out of the alteration store and um, we've grown a bit so we have another facility actually just right next door in Garden Grove But yeah, we do everything here. It's all cut here, all sewn here, checked and sent out. We're still very small, so I'm still actually a very integral part in the production. And actually, especially now that things have changed with COVID, we've had to scale kind of our team a little bit, and we're kind of working to make sure every everything's still right and um, going still. So uh, we've been I've been definitely a big part of the production as well still. Well, do you see that the fashion industry is moving towards more coordinated sustainability, like circular economy planning? Do you see that? Um, I think right now, what I mostly see is there's a lot more discussion around it. There's a lot more talk about it. There's, um, we're starting to see kind of higher level initiatives and goals being set. Um, I would say like on the ground, in the works, not fully there, but concepts are being tested and a lot of discussion is happening, which I think is great. I mean, we've been at this for, it's going to be 10 years soon, which is incredible. And we've seen, I mean, we've seen it from where people had no idea what we were talking about and like, why would you do that? (laughs) To like, oh, that's right. Like, I've heard about that. I mean, I think when we first were going out and explaining the concept, it was most people is the first time they're we we're hearing upcycling the word, first time this concept was really coming across their way. And I'd say in the last two, three years, 
pretty much everyone knows what we're talking about, knows, understands, gets the concept, has talked within their company about something, but just hasn't really put put boots to the ground to make it start happening. But actually, it was interesting when COVID first hit, we got a lot of inquiries because I think a lot of companies were like, oh, this is a good time for us to kind of research those back burner projects we hadn't been thinking about. So we had a, a really interesting flux of people reaching out and wanting to do things when this first happened. Excellent. Yeah, it seems like um, in the future, it would be lovely to have big conferences where people are bringing things for buyers to see. And, you know, it just seems like to bring all that together is probably the trickiest part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's definitely, it takes one of the trickiest things about upcycling and especially with working with uh, in a complete circle is that you really need buy-in from almost every department because you need your facility managers and your operations people to be able to facilitate getting the material to you first getting material back from the customers then getting it to us the manufacturers to make something you need buy-in from the designers because it needs the products need to fall in line with uh, the rest of the company's image and their brand and you need buy-in from the marketing team so that they understand the story and they can tell a story in a way that is captivating and gets people on board um so it really it takes a lot of especially if you're working with bigger uh, companies it takes a lot of um coordinating within the whole entire company to make it work wow so moving into that question that might you might have kind of answered a part of it but what were what are some of maybe the unique challenges um that you face taking this project on Definitely. So I would say that is probably the coordinating between every department is probably one of the kind of fundamental hurdles we have to get by just to start. And then another, some of the, in terms of when we are uh, actually starting to make the product, uh, deconstruction is a big part of it. So, you know, we get garments in 3D shapes, but to cut patterns out of them, we need to flatten them and make them uh, into a 2D shape. And that can take a lot of time. And so that's where sometimes you see upcycled products like costing a little bit more than your your virgin material products because that cutting process is so much more intensive and time consuming than if you had virgin material that you were able to stack in 50 layer, layers and cut out real quickly. So there are some really cool ideas. There's a company that is working on a dissolvable thread. So it is... Um, you would use it and then at a specific very high, high heat, it would start to dissolve. So the idea being that once you would be go through your regular wash fine as a consumer and user, you would not have any issues. But when it came to end of life, you would be able to put it through a process that would dissolve the threads and be able to get all the pieces back flat, which is to me is incredible because that was always like my dream. I was like, oh, that would be amazing if someone would start developing that and and someone is. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I can send you the link uh, to that. Oh, resource text, resource text, but I'll send it to you as well, just to be sure. And then things like, you know, the price difference is also a big deal. I think people having to trying to get that understanding and that concept of like, okay, yes, you can buy a toiletry bag from Target for three or $4, or you can buy an upcycled one for 15. 
why is that difference there? Why is it important? Um, and then also part of that too is we're made in US. And so, you know, labor and all those kinds of things come into factor. And we really try to make sure that when we tell the story, we really reach the customer and under, kind of build that understanding of like, this isn't, this is like, this is a story piece. Like when you bring this out of your bag, you can say, hey, this was made out of the rain jacket or this was made out of this thing and it was repurposed, it was made here in US. And we think that consumer awareness is also a really, really big um, part of our success and it can be a very big challenge. Well, it certainly seems like Patagonia is probably an excellent partner to have because... It was. Yeah, it is. We are a little, unfortunately with pandemic, things are shifting a bit, but, but they're, yeah, they, they have the ethos. They have the customer base who like cares and feels for it. And then we found similarly with Parks Project. Parks Project, they are a company that part of their proceeds go back to the national parks to help fund backlogged projects. So people who are going to them already have a sense of love and care for the environment and for uh, I think the kind of topics that also tie in line really strongly with why we would choose an upcycled uh, product because you want to see waste being handled in an appropriate way it not ending up in our landfills or in our uh, natural environment. Yeah. Do any of your products, do you, like you mentioned in India that they were using plastic bags and kind of like melting them into, do you do that at all here? Right now we are only cut and sew. So we try to do the least amount of chemical or kind of energy intensive process. There's so much low hanging fruit of like, literally all we got to do is cut it apart and re get it into a better state. A lot of the stuff that we get is uh, damaged because uh, for the instance, the rain jackets, you're starting to delaminate. So what we do is we line them so that the lamination, if anything starts flaking, it's inside the, um, between the lining. And so as a consumer, you wouldn't have to be bothered by that. It's no longer water fully waterproof. So that's why it's not useful as a rain jacket. But for our products, it's perfect because it's still somewhat water resistant. um, And then it's not, um, it doesn't need to be fully waterproof um, to be what the new product is. And then other things that we get, there are things either they were damaged on manufacturing. So the brand or company never doesn't want to sell them because it's not to their quality standard or like there's a it's amazing how many mistakes (laughs) like can happen and how that that can make something unsellable and irrelevant and so that's kind of our goal is to find those things find the items that really don't have another home so like they can't you know we don't want things that could be sold in a thrift store like if it's still usable as whatever jacket or coat or pant that it is we would prefer that to continue to be used and to be just like mended or cleaned and sent back out we really want the things that are just like in that in-between zone where it's like the material is quality enough that we can create a new product but it's not so um, so worn or damn, or it's not so good that it can be actually used as what it was. Um, and that's where to the outdoor companies have been a great audience for us because they really make durable material. So your fast fashion brands, the material that they're using is often so low quality 
it would be very difficult to upcycle something like that because the material itself is so um, fragile, essentially, and so um, disposable. So working with companies that use quality materials is really key to making it work. Do you also work with companies that have maybe natural materials like hemp or um, canvas and things like that as well? Right now, we don't have anyone coming. So Patagonia does have some of their hemp and cotton. Um, we That stuff is durable, though. So we don't actually get very much of that back. The rain jackets and the delaminating is a little less. Unfortunately, the technology for that is um, just, it's good, but it just happens to flake at a certain point. So we get a lot more of that kind of stuff. We are starting to, there is, we have kind of like a source where it's all the end cutoffs of the bolts. So when manufacturers, and they're actually coming from LA, so they'll take a bolt and the last like yard of it might be too short for them to cut the pattern out. So we're starting to source some of those pieces so that we can use that. And that's coming in cottons and cotton canvases. And that's coming in a little more variety of, uh, of materials. Nice. Wow. It sounds like you really, your de- design abilities and just your ability to multitask and think outside of the box probably comes in handy. <laughs> yes, that is very key for making this work is you have to be flexible because you don't get to go and say, oh, I want that specific color and this specific material. It is really just, it's a go and see what what you got. And, you know, there's definitely, yeah, it's funny because sometimes like, oh, it would be so great if you got that in a this color. And I'm like, I just get what I get. Um, but, you know, we have done some dyeing before, but I personally love to just use it as is because um, I think the less that we put into it, the more that it's staying true to like upcycling and the less that we're, the less, the more low impact we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you're doing, I'm guessing like more um, natural fibers where you could use something like natural dyes, plant-based or whatever, you'd probably have to use more of the toxic dyes to, you know, deal with the synthetics. So I think it's, yeah, it makes sense what you're what you're doing. So what are maybe some of the ways that you and others have enjoyed the rewards of what you're doing? I think for us, we've really enjoyed seeing these products get out there, seeing the excitement that people have. Um, One of our kind of like favorite products was we, for a long, long time, we were collecting the hoods from the rain jackets. And I refused. I was like, don't just I know it's a lot, but let's just store them. Something, I know something will happen. We'll be able to make something with these. Um, So I think for like the first like two, three years, we were just storing them, storing them, which was was driving my mom insane because you're like, we don't only have so much storage. And Patagonia is like, oh, I'd love for you to design a fanny pack concept. And it's like, that's it. I am going to use the hoods. And so I figured out a way to use kind of like the front bill and then fold it in half with the back of it. And we put a zipper into it. And so we were able to create a concept where we used the the hoods to make these fanny packs. And that to me was one of the most fun because you could really tell what it was. Like when you first look at it, you're like, oh, that's a fun little fanny pack. But when you start looking at it, you can see the shape of the bill and you can see how it was um, 
transformed into this new product. And I think for me, that was so much fun because it just innately told the story. And I think we had, we had sent a bunch to the Santa Monica Patagonia store and the uh, people, the retail uh uh, salespeople there did a silly photo where some of them had them on their head and some of them had them on and just like just to kind of make fun and light and make it a uh, just kind of a a good experience to be part of and so that was really fun I like um, I've always enjoyed when people can take uh, kind of a laugh with it and enjoy it and also like kind of enjoy like oh this is a this is a good thing it's fun like it's clever and I think that's always really enjoyable yeah that's awesome so if your ideas your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for to give to others what advice would you give to someone who might be considering this in another state or in their own city Definitely. Um, I would say be flexible because what you set out to do will probably not be what you end up doing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of materials out there. So don't get too pigeonholed into like one idea, one concept, test things out, just constantly like try it out, see if it works, you know, try to talk to as many people as possible, ask, um, you know, ask the industries around you, what is one of your pain points as an industry that you're having a hard time? What are you having a hard time recycling? What are you having a hard time finding a second life for? And see if you can do something with it. You know, you can start really small. You don't have to start with a big factory, a big team. I mean, you can start pretty small and start just, I'm a hands-on person, so I always recommend just get your hands into it, start working with it, start testing it out, see if you can get any feedback from either customers or clients or um, industry leaders. I would say if you're trying to make kind of like a bigger scale, look to the industries and see what are they producing, what's their output that can be a feedstock for you, because you want... Um, I think to make a consistent product, you need a consistent output. So just kind of understanding, okay, what are the industries in my area? Who can I network with? And what is the, what's a consistent output that I can count on? Nice. Nice. So what might be a book or website or video or podcast that has been particularly helpful or maybe inspirational for you? Yeah. I think when I first was diving into this, this is, very, very classic, but um, Cradle to Cradle is like, I feel like the handbook of upcycling and a lot of sustainable uh, concepts. Um, I think that was a great starting point of just understanding, okay, what does all this entail? What does it mean? I think that I was inspired a lot by my work in India, of course, um, just seeing it happen in a, in a larger scale. Um, I think a lot of times we think of recycling upcycling as a little bit of a craft and I'm like handicraft which is obviously I love handicrafts and handicrafts are amazing but I think we think of them as such a small individual localized scale and I think we can think bigger about that we can we can really stretch that to a larger concept and then I'm just kind of I always keep my ears out for new companies and kind of see what they're doing and love to support and and I love to cheer on other companies that are doing good stuff because at this point, and I try to say this a lot in my speaking, is that all of our upcyclers are 
companions right now. We don't, we are at a point where we are not competing. Our biggest, to be honest, our biggest competition is the landfill because right now that's the cheapest, easiest way to dispose of material. And they are taking material that I can be using and they are taking it and just wasting it. And so to me, there is no competition between other upcycling companies. It is literally, we're all just working against the landfill, just trying to make, and there's just so much material out there. So if we can all take a little bit of a dent out of it, that is, that's incredible. Yeah, that's excellent. So do you have any um, upcoming events or special things that you would like um, our listeners to know about, or maybe your website? Yeah, so I would say right now we are um, we're starting to drop a couple of new product lines with Parks Project, and so keep an eye out on theirs. Um, because we're business to business, we we have a couple of things on our website, but to be honest, most of what we do is um, is we do for our clients and they sell. And so Parks Project has some great stuff. They've got some puffy the this uh, puffy insulated material. They have tote bags. There is like a red canvas bag that we just did for them that's really wonderful and so um supporting those patagonia is i believe their store should still have our stuff stocked in them and their web their website also has some of our things on them so i think just as consumers you know if you're christmas shopping and you're trying to find something lovely and unique just looking for things that are either made in us upcycled maybe have a little story to them and and then just checking them out see if that's you know something that you'd be interested in Nice. Nice. Well, I'm very impressed with everything that you're doing and, and you've been doing it for 10 years, which is just amazing before people really, I'm sure, knew anything about fast fashion and just the whole sustainability issue. So yeah, just impressed. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time to share it with us. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, Let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.